Trust in God and God will make your path straight. And in all things and everything, lean on God for your understanding. Please be seated. As I said, it's lovely to be back from leave. It's lovely to be back with all the people that are here and some new faces that I haven't seen. And I hope that you take a moment to come and see me and introduce yourself before you go. I thought about having a PowerPoint slide about all the things, all the different animals, all the turtles we saw and things like that, but I won't bore you with that. But I do want to reflect on one part, one holiday that I had, which was to the Holy Land. Uh, before I got ordained, I decided to travel to the Holy Land and I left Jane with a young girl and two young daughters to look after them while I gallivanted all around Israel. And thank you for that, Jane. As, uh, as, we, as I travelled around that area, one of the places I visited was Capernaum. And we read today how woe to the woe to Capernaum, to the woe to all the places where Jesus had visited along the seaside and had done miracles and had explained things and had shown the word of God in, the living, in his living presence, but they had not paid attention. And one of the things I noticed was as we travelled around Nazareth, a bustling city, lots of people, lots of stalls, you could buy cribs, you could buy crosses, some, some claimed to be made of bits of wood from the original cross and all sorts of things. You go to another place and it's busy and yet you come to Capernaum and there's a church like a, in a UFO shape that's built over the top of Peter's house and it's very dead. There's not a lot of commerce there, there's a drink machine you kind of walk down this long driveway to get there and there's a vending machine and yet there's nothing much else and it almost felt like you go in but you want to leave as soon as possible and it has that feeling about it that Jesus when Jesus spoke to the people of the time it has that feeling about it it's there's a sense of God's not really present in that space because they didn't want him they didn't have the faith to hold his presence there and so as we come today, the question is, we're going to be going through a lot of evidence today about how Jesus presents himself and the, the, what, what our expectations are and what his expectations were of being a Messiah. And how do we see it? Because those at the time who had the Messiah with them had lots of evidence, had lots of things to think about and to digest and to build their faith upon but they chose to put that to the side and think in other ways. So let's, let's start the journey of unpacking this passage. Today we re read a most beautiful prayer and we often read Jesus' prayers, lo his love letters to us as his faithful disciples in John. But here is one amazing example in Matthew where Jesus is praying to our Father for the little ones, the ones that are left out by the society that Matthew was writing to, by his community. And he's giving thanks that God is revealing himself to those who are on the margins, to those who are left out. And yet the ones that are at the centre, the ones that uphold themselves and call themselves wise, are the ones that are struggling to see what his Messiahship is about. Within this prayer, we can see Jesus' reverence for God the Father, Jesus' relationship to God as his Father. But we also see that Jesus finds his rest, finds his peace in the will of God. Jesus interpreted his messianic role by his unique relationship to the Father as God's Son 
And we see that oozing out of each word that's coming out of the passage today. Jesus' prayer is a word of praise to God the Father as he shares the mysteries and knowledge of himself and his grace. As I said, to those that are unlearned or literally, as I read the passage, it was literally those that are immature. So those that are not fully developed in their spiritual journey, but yet they're able to recognise, well, there's something different about this guy and he's speaking in ways that no one else has spoken to me and I find his peace filling, filling my heart and soul and mind which is a very big contrast to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were stumbling at his ministry. Those that had the Torah at hand, that knew all the, the uh, passages from Isaiah, the, the suffering servant, couldn't make sense of who Jesus was and what they were reading about judgment and about the Messiah coming down and making the nation of Israel great and the rest of the world poor. They just, they just couldn't make sense of that. And yet, as we read this passage today, what we read in in the Beatitudes is that um, what was promised to those that were poor in spirit. The Sermon on the Mount speaks about the poor in spirit will be filled. And here is Jesus coming to fulfill his promise. In the passage just before this, we see John asking the Messiah, is he the one or is there another one to come? And Jesus tells John's disciples to share what they have seen and heard. The blind receiving sight, the lame walking, the lepers cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead raised, and the poor receiving good news. Jesus does not answer John's question directly, but shares a lot of evidence for Jesus being the Messiah. John, who so very clearly recognised Jesus as the Messiah at the baptism, is noted in the passage just before we read this one as having doubts. So if a prophet who was named by Jesus as a very important prophet, as one of the stalwarts of those that were to name him, can have doubts, it's all right for us to have doubts. It's all right for us to question and to try and come up with our own conclusions. So being doubtful and needing to work through your thoughts isn't a criteria for you to be outside the kingdom. So let's make, that, make sure we've got that point straight. But the idea of the suffering servant for John was not the primary thought of what the Messiah would be. <coughs> the innocent servant who dies for all was not part of John's imagination either. Jesus is embodying the new concept of the, who the Messiah would be. He's not the Messiah who comes to judge and destroy. He is the Messiah who comes to share grace and to be the servant of all and to be the sacrifice for all and to have all of mankind's sins both then and following and now and in the future laid on him so that all can come to their Father in heaven. Christ is known by grace, and Jesus is his own evidence. Yet again, this evidence isn't enough for those who surround him in the towns. Those who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees are looking to the Torah to understand the Messiah, the one that will come to judge those that are outside and defiled 
and throw them into the fires of hell. And those who are inside the Torah are okay. And the towns who see Jesus hear his words and do nothing to change their actions. They think that by hearing Jesus' words, they can keep living in their licentious lifestyle. I'll be all right. Jesus has died for me. I'll keep going the way I am. But that's not what Jesus was about either. And even today, we see a wide spectrum in our society in between denominations and even within the Anglican denomination about Jesus and how we read the evidence that he gives us and how that allows us to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. With all the evidence we have about Jesus, we are called to have a personal and incarnate relationship with God. And it is no, di- it is no different in our times that as we come to have that relationship with God, each of us sees something in Jesus that brings us alive that might be different to the next person. Jesus, as the word of God, says who the Messiah is and how the Messiah will manifest authority and what expectation is placed on our lives in light of the evidence. Yet through various divisions and personal opinions, we still distill all this in various ways and sometimes we can't come to any agreement. We move in a spectrum between those reaching out in mission to the sinners and the ones that are at the fringes of society and those who would create a holy and self-righteous huddle or scrum or um, ruck, to use an AFL term, of churchgoers who would agree on the sins that they are against and on the lifestyle they are for and in doing so make sure that there are people on the outside and people on the inside. So the question is who is in and who is out? Jesus reinforces that the little ones are in and speaks to them about having a privileged position when it comes to the fact that God has revealed himself to them. Those who would be poor in spirit, the ones that recognise Jesus' life shed on the cross as being the only way to eternal life, are the ones who are in. Those who would be wise and intelligent and try and do things in their own power and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil before they speak to God seem to be the ones that are out. They seek to do things in their own power and make decisions for themselves and see God as a puppet in their own life, but not as a central point for them to discover their calling and their place in this amazing plan of redemption of the whole of creation. In Matthew's community, the little ones are told, are told, who have no one are told that they are okay, that they can have a relationship with God. And they know they can't do it in their own power. And they know they can't do anything in their own strength. So they rely on Jesus' promise, as Jesus has given to them. Jesus' prayers say that when you come to the point where you are feeling alone and have no one and no place with anyone else, you always have a place with the Messiah. And is this different in our own time and in our own parish? 
Some of you are here because you have told, you've been told in other places that you have no space or place to be with people. Yet in this, precious, in this parish we say you are a precious child of God. And if no one else has a place for you, there's plenty of room here for yourself and for anyone else that you think is being marginalised in an inappropriate way. Some of you are here because others have lauded their faith over you, saying that they are better spiritually and stronger spiritually and that you are nothing. Well, can I say you have a place here? Because we come together as people who are vulnerable and humble before God and hold a heart that says, Lord, fill me up. Fill me with your Holy Spirit because I have nothing else to turn to and no one else to live for. For those who are weary and burdened by the instructions and statements from others on who your essential self should be and impose heavy burdens on how you should be as a person, how you should worship or how you should live your life. There's always someone, I know as Jane and I were raising the girls, there was always someone that told us, well, you should be doing this as a parent or this is the right time. Or, right? We've all had that. I can see the parents having a little smile about that. Now, we do that, of course, in our society, but what happens when that comes into church and into our congregation and the shoulds start coming up and people start pointing the finger? That's not what Jesus defined himself as a Messiah and that's not the burden that we want to put on people so that they come and leave this worship space being more weary than when they came. As it was for that community and as it is for us, we are painfully aware how church and religion, religion have become weary and burdensome for so many. The church cannot water down the ideals of Jesus or cease to require people to die to the worldliness and rise in spiritual life. That is a sacramental action which Jesus gave us in baptism and it is a gift to us so that we can leave the world behind and fill ourselves with the spirit of Christ. What we can do as a church though and what we, and what we are going to do as a parish is to constantly look at what we do and seek out to make sure that the grace of Jesus has primacy in everything that we do. And anything that stops us understanding that or opposes that is removed, is removed and not part of what we do. You are called to come to here and worship as you are. You are called to come to worship, to listen to the word, to listen to the thoughts of the Holy Spirit that have inspired me this week, to pray with us, to have a meal to feed yourself spiritually and then to move off into the week doing our saviour's will how you come here is really your call yes we do have a prayer book and the prayer book tells us when to stand when to kneel when to read etc etc but if you feel you want to come out and kneel at the sanctuary for the whole service then i invite you to come out if you want to stand for the whole service can i invite you to stand maybe to the back so people can read the screen but I'm sure there's a way we can accommodate what the Spirit is asking you to do. How you worship and what you do in this worship space to allow the Holy Spirit to go deeper into who you are and how you are is something that you need to be 
always monitoring and unpacking and deciding. Some people hold their hands to heaven. Some people bow their heads. There are others in other communities that might say, well, that's not, that's not our way. Don't, don't do that. But can I say it is the way of this parish for you to come as you are and to worship as you need to and to show your God, your love, and the way the word is coming into you. The only burden I put on you in light of this evidence is given from the Messiah today. And that is to be vulnerable to the Messiah and to make time to abide in him during the, during the times you are most, most vulnerable and to know what your calling before God is. Jesus' yoke fits you well because it is your yoke. My yoke couldn't fit you because it's the one that Jesus made for me and it's going to be a bit bigger and a bit like, you know, I don't think, you know, if, if I had a yoke, I don't, it'd be a bit big. It'll be, you'd kind of be moving under it, you know. And if Vino had his yoke on me, I'd be a bit squashed, you know, it'd be a bit small. So we all got our yoke. We've all got the one that Jesus has made for us and the Je- that Jesus has put on us. But the thing about the yoke is if you take on Jesus' yoke and put it on, then the burden is light because Jesus is going to be alongside you, pushing the yoke with you. It's only ever when we try and take on a yoke that Jesus has not given us or try and be something that we're not or pretend to be something that other people want us to be that things fall apart because Jesus cannot come into that space. As the Son of God, as the holy and righteous God, Jesus cannot come into a space that you have created in your own strength and power that does not invite him there in the first place to design the yoke, to make that yoke for you. Your obedience to God is what is the burden I place on you today because you have a calling and you are called to serve God and you are called to be holy and righteous before God so that all of us can work to bring every person, both churched and unchurched, into eternal life. So as we move into this week, what does the evidence of the Bible, and in particular the gospel of Jesus, tell you about who the Messiah is? Does the evidence tell you that you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus to know that you are redeemed and loved? Or does the evidence tell you that you have a part to play in the redemption of all creation? Or does the evidence tell you that you are the person to judge others? Does the evidence tell you that you are here to make sure the Holy Spirit does its work while you sit on the sideline cheering others on and pointing the finger? Where does the evidence lead you in your relationship with God? There is, of course, one ultimate burden that no one can take from you. You are burdened with making a choice in this space. You are burdened with making a statement of confession that says, I believe in Jesus as Jesus has presented himself to me. And that burden requires us to declare a position to our Lord God. So as we move through this service today, I ask you to declare that position and to Take the spiritual food that is available to you during communion and feed that position and inspire yourself to hold in that space. 
And as we are talking about evidence, I rest my case. The Lord be with you.